Um, we will be in Hebrews chapter 8 this morning, and um, we will read the chapter. I will read it out loud if you follow along. Hebrews chapter 8. All right. Starting in verse 1. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. They did not continue in my covenant. And I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each, of, each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. This is God's word. Let us, let us hear it for what it is. Please be seated. Like I said, Pastor Ryan is sick, so I'm filling in this morning. The privilege of doing that. Um, the order of worship is correct, but your notes page is the passage Ryan will preach on next Sunday. So we'll be in Hebrews 8 this morning. <clears throat> As believers in Christ, do we think of the great privileges that we have of being in the new covenant? Do we unknowingly take for granted what comes in the new covenant? Do we think of Jesus as the actual son of God who is our great high priest that died for our sins at Calvary? At any level, we won't understand fully or appreciate all that comes with the new covenant being on this side of the cross without some kind of background in the Old Testament looking at the old covenant. Our passage today in Hebrew should start to help us appreciate all that we have in Christ as we look at the new covenant together. But before we do that, let's define some terms and phrases. The old covenant is how God agreed to deal with his people Israel before the coming of Christ, mainly in the Old Testament. This included things like how Israel was to live and worship, as well as how their sin was covered through animal sacrifices, all through the work of a high priest. 
This covenant was intentionally lacking and was looking forward to something better. The new covenant is how God agreed to deal with his people, the church, initiated in the coming of Christ, which included Christ's lordship, his perfect life, actual death, burial, and resurrection, and continues on today. In Christ, who is the great high priest, God's people are forgiven and have God's word written on their hearts. The new, coven- the new covenant is the fulfillment of what the old covenant pointed toward. This morning, we'll be looking at three ways the new covenant is better than the old covenant. The new covenant is better by its high priest, by its promises, and by its people. Our text tells us three main truths about Christ, who is our better high priest. Two of these truths are true also of the high priest in the old covenant and their work. And then we have one new truth, or you could say a better truth, that we'll look at. Jesus is our better high priest. As we see throughout Hebrews, he has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than that of the old covenant as it has better promises. The new work that Jesus does is stated in verse 1. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. But before we unpack this better truth, let's look at the work of a high priest in general. Our text tells us that Jesus, the great high priest, is a minister in the holy places. Both in the old covenant and the new covenant, the high priest was to serve in the holy place. In the old covenant, this was a very back room, if you remember in the Old Testament reading, called the holy of holies or the most holy place as in Hebrew, as in Exodus 36. As Hebrews chapter 9 tells us, this place could only be visited by the high priest and him only once a year, not without blood. Christ ministers not in a tent or building made by man, but in the true tent that the Lord set up and not man. So what is this true tent? In each of your Bibles, you may have a footnote near the word tent in verse 2 that can also be translated tabernacle. The old covenant tabernacle was a place that God came down to dwell with man through the work of the high priest. Our text tells us that Christ himself is the tabernacle which is the place where God dwells with man. And this tabernacle was set up by the Lord and not by man. Christ himself is now the meeting place of God and man. And Christ is also the high priest. In the old covenant, the high priest had to go to the tent of meeting to deal with sin and to meet with God. In the new covenant, Jesus is God in the flesh, Through the cross, by his perfect sacrifice, he has done all that is needed for man to dwell with God. The high priest was a mediator between God and man. Because of the work in the tabernacle and the service of the high priest, the covenant people were able to have fellowship with God Almighty. This is all possible because of animal sacrifices in the old covenant and Jesus' sacrifice in the new covenant. To really understand the need and process of sacrifices, we have to understand God's holiness and understand man's sinfulness. We have to get back to the gospel. God calls his people to worship him, but because of their sin, man cannot worship God as he is designed, nor as God commands them to. 
Because of this, God in his wisdom and foreknowledge set up the sacrificial system. The first example we see of this is all the way back in Genesis 3. After Adam and Eve ate of the tree in the midst of the garden, this is a tree of, the, of good and evil, We've, we learned that. The Bible says that after they ate, the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. This event is when sin first entered into both Adam and Eve. And they saw themselves as they are, and they saw God for who he was in the face of sin. The couple first covers themselves and hides from God. What we see here is guilt and shame for what was done. What we see from God is what we see in all of Scripture, and that is a pursuit of his people in the midst of their sin and a provision for what they have done. In this same chapter, we get a glimpse of the gospel and the first animal sacrifice. At the end of, the chap- of, of chapter 3, we read this in verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Again, God provides a way for them to cover themselves and cover the sin that was committed. The Bible is clear. When sin is committed, the person who sinned is separated from God For this relationship to be restored, something has to die. In this very next chapter in Genesis 4, we see that as Cain and Abel brought an offering to the Lord, the Lord was pleased with Abel's offering and not Cain's. Abel brought the firstborn of his flock, an animal to be slaughtered. And Cain brought an offering of the ground. Scripture tells us, And the Lord had regard for Abel's offering, And for Cain and his offering, he had not regard. God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but not Cain's sacrifice. We get an even clearer understanding of the need of animal sacrifices in Leviticus chapter 17 that states, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is... Isn't for it, it is, excuse me, for it is in the blood that makes atonement by the life. I'm going to read that again. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. The Lord has given us blood to make atonement for our souls. So then, what does atonement mean? Atonement means a reconciliation between God and his people. Atonement is the process where sin is forgiven through the shedding of blood and God's people are restored to him. In the Old Covenant, this was done continually through the high priest offering proper animal sacrifices that merely covered sin, awaiting a greater high priest who would not just offer animal sacrifices, but a one-for-all ultimate sacrifice. In the New Covenant, this was done through a greater high priest, God's own son, who willingly and humbly came to the earth to be a man, who lived a perfect life, suffered unjustly for me and you, died faithfully on the cross, and then rose the third day, defeating death and pleasing God's wrath for sin. Back in Hebrews 8, verse 5, we hear that they, the old covenant high priests, serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. The heavenly thing that the old covenant high priests were, were serving was Christ. He is the image that reflects the shadow that the old covenant priests were serving. Hebrews is here to tell us 
This is what we've been waiting for. This is the main event. For us to look back at the sacrificial system and not see Christ is like us looking for Christmas Eve and not Christmas. So back to this new truth about Jesus, our high priest. Christ is no longer working. The old covenant priest would work continually. Listen to Leviticus 6, verse 13. Fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually, and it shall not go out. The work, the work that the old covenant priest did was good and right, but temporary, and now the greater high priest is working, or you could say has worked, as verse 1 tells us, we have, such a, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. The work of Christ on the cross is complete, and he is now sitting down next to the Father, showing and proclaiming that he is, on, that he is in the place of honor, sitting at God's right hand with his feet up, making his enemies his footstool. <clears throat> the priests that served in the temple were constantly working, and there was always more work to do, always one more sacrifice. Christ's sacrifice was pure enough to cover the sins of every person that ever lived, and it did cover every, the sin of every person it was designed to. Christ's work as a high priest is complete, and yet the work of Christ continues on in the hearts of his people, making them more and more like him. Our text tells us that Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, speaking of the old covenant. We learn that the covenant Christ mediates is better and that it is enacted on better promises. So why is the new covenant better than the old and how is it better? Remember, the old covenant had a purpose for its time and it pointed to something greater. But when Christ comes, he ushers in a new covenant. A recent movie that came out helps me think through this, and maybe it will you. The new Top Gun movie came out this year, which was a sequel to the original that came out in 1986. Now, I have seen the original movie, although when it came out, I was only three years old. I'm sure I saw it later in my childhood. Some of you, I'm sure, will say the storyline of the original was better, and some will say the sequel was better. But really, the two movies are one story, just like the Old Covenant and New Covenant are one story. But in the new Top Gun, the planes, the acting, the stunts, explosion, picture quality, even sound were much better than the original, just given it came out 30 years later. Think of the New Covenant this way. The New Covenant really has no comparison with the Old when, they know, when we know what comes with it. We've already looked at the sacrifice of Christ, the power that Christ's sacrifice brings over animal sacrifices. Now let's consider the statement that the new covenant is built on better promises. What promises do we find here in the text? Look down at verses 10 through 12 in Hebrews chapter 8. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. 
for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. The promise of the new covenant is that we can know Christ more fully through his word by his spirit changing us and that our sins can be once for all forgiven. But couldn't the Old Testament saints know God and were not their sins forgiven? Well, yes, partially. We're saved by faith in the new covenant as well as the old covenant. But this section in Hebrews, this section in Hebrews is from the Old Testament quoted from Jeremiah, and it's like a lighthouse in God's word shining and saying, look here for what God is going to do through his people. Our text tells us that the new covenant is better than the old covenant because the old covenant had fault, meaning it was not perfect, and that we were supposed to look for a second covenant. The old covenant did not come with the power needed to obey God nor pay for sin completely. The old covenant pointed to something greater, a day when God himself works in the hearts of his people like we see in Ezekiel 36. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And you shall be my people and I will be your God and I will deliver you from your uncleanness. You see, it's not until our relationship with God is restored that we can have the Holy Spirit dwell with us. And we cannot, expect God to, we cannot expect to obey God and his word until he helps us to do so. And none of this can happen until our sins are paid for by a sacrifice worthy of wiping sin out completely. Of wiping sin out versus merely covering sin until the next sacrifice. A famous quote by St. Augustine helps us understand this. It says, grant what, thou, grant what thou commands and command what thou wilt. For the unschooled in the word of God, this may seem like a contrary statement. But for one who knows God's attributes and his word should be able to relate. It is God Almighty that commands whatsoever he desires, and it's also God Almighty that gives the ability for the one to obey his command. Exodus 19, verse 8 says this. Israel says this in response to God. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And then just a few short chapters later, Israel makes and worships a false god, the golden calf. This may help us better understand language like we see in Deuteronomy 29. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to hear or ears, or eyes to see or ears to hear. The Lord could not give them this heart until Christ came to forgive sin completely, change hearts fully, and send the helper of the Holy Spirit. Our text tells us what Jeremiah tells us, that they did not continue in my covenant, and the honest truth is because they could not, that is, until Christ. Christ ushers in the new covenant and brings with it the ability to obey God by his spirit working through his people. New Covenant believers can still sin. We, we all know this. But we also have the ability not to sin. Our lives in the New Covenant should be progressing toward holiness. And this process is called sanctification. Christ brings us and keeps us in the New Covenant. Look at verse 11 that states, 
And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. I think what this is getting at is that it is God who brings people into the, into the covenant. It's God's work. Yes, we still preach God's word. Yes, we need to disciple each other maturity. But it is God that brings an individual into the covenant. And it is God who keeps them there. This should bring us much hope. Here's what our passage states about the old covenant. Verse 7. The first covenant had been faultless. Verse 9. The new covenant is not like the covenant that I made with Israel's fathers as they did not continue in that covenant. And then finally, verse 13. The old covenant is obsolete and has vanished away. Here is what we learn about the new covenant. It is a better covenant with a better high priest that brings a better sacrifice and that comes with better promises. It is the Lord who puts his laws in our minds. It's the Lord who gives us new hearts. It is God through Jesus that shows mercy towards our sin so that he no longer remembers them. We do understand that God is not like us, right? When someone wrongs us, we forgive them, and yet when that same person wrongs us again, do we find ourselves going back to the wrong that they did? that we supposedly forgave them for and reminding them of this? God is not like us, and we can praise him for that. God shows mercy over our sins and remembers them no more. Finally, the promise of the new covenant is that it is God who keeps the covenant. The God who justifies is the same God who glorifies, and of them he does not lose any. Do not fear, Christian, that you have fallen from grace. Do not think your sin is too big to escape God's grace. Trust in Christ's work. Give yourself to him and his word and watch the spirit change you from the inside and hold you in grace. Now let's look at a third point of our passage and probably the most controversial. The new covenant brings a better people. Now, what I'm not saying here is the New Covenant Christians are better than Old Testament saints. We are as much sinners and in need of God's grace as they were, but it's only by Jesus and Him crucified that we have any standing. When I say the New Covenant brings a better people, what I mean is the scope of who the covenant is intended for, which you could say better or fuller. The Old Covenant was for Israel, God's chosen people, and the New Covenant is also for God's chosen people, often in the New Testament referred to as the elect or the church. Let's look at our passage and see if this has any context to the New Covenant people. Twice in our passage, just like in Hebrews 31, our text says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah verse 8, and then in verse 10, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. So in Jeremiah and Hebrews, the authors are pretty clear that this new covenant is for Israel, God's people. Yet in almost every other New Testament passage, the new covenant is for either Gentiles specifically or Jews and Gentiles, like was mentioned in the call to worship passage. Listen to Ephesians 3. 
The Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So what are we to make of the language of Israel in our text in Hebrews quoted from Jeremiah 31? Keeping in mind, this is the longest Old Testament quote found in the New Testament. Well, we know that the book of Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians. One interpretation is that the author is writing to Jews, so that, so that is why Gentiles are not mentioned here. Plus, in Jeremiah's day, the only people that were part of the covenant were God's people, Israel. The problem I see with this is the New Testament is clear that the church is Jew and Gentile. And actually, it's better said to say it the opposite way. The church is neither Jew or Gentile. The New Covenant, there is no distinction. I want to walk through slowly Ephesians 2, 11 through 16. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you Gentiles who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore killing the hostility. Then verse 19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Also listen to what Romans 2 has to say. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit. Let me share with you a rather long quote from an article I read from Ligonier's website speaking of the people of God in the New Covenant. The relationship between the people of God in the New Testament and the people of God in the Old Testament is better described in terms of an organic development rather than either separation or replacement. Believing Gentiles are compared to branches from a wild olive tree that have been grafted into the cultivated olive tree. And this picture is from Romans 11. The important point to notice is that God does not cut that God does not cut the old tree down and plant a new one, which is sometimes referred to as replacement theology. Neither does God plant a second tree alongside an old tree and then graft branches from the old tree into the new tree. This is often referred to as traditional dispensationalism. Instead, the same tree exists across a divide between the Old and New Testaments. That which remains after the dead branches are removed is true Israel. Gentile believers are now grafted into this already existing old tree. You could say true Israel or the true church. 
This is only, there is only one good olive tree. The same olive tree exists across the covenantal divide. So to summarize, Christianity is not a Gentile religion, but a Jewish religion that has grafted in the Gentiles. The church is made up of Jew and Gentile, two peoples brought together by God, as we read in Ephesians 1, and as quoted As the quote states from Romans 11, sometimes this group of people are referred to in the New Testament as Israel. Now I realize that not everybody sees the people of God this way. Some see a clear distinction with Israel and the church. And that's fine. Our confession or statement of faith allows for differences here. You may not see it this way. I would just ask for you to hear me out and consider the language throughout the New Testament Obviously, we won't be able to answer any questions or every question on Sunday morning. There's a lot to consider, but let's go through a few um, passages, both in Hebrews and the New Testament. Sometimes in the New Testament, the people of God are referred to as the church, sometimes as the elect, and here as Israel. When we look at the book of Hebrews, we read all about Christ's all-consuming work without distinction of Jew or Gentile. Listen to Hebrews 9. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. As we look at Hebrews as a whole and the rest of the New Testament, what we see is God's people as one group. The Gentiles are a part of the new covenant and Christ's sacrifice paying the sins of both Jew and Gentile who are part of this covenant. We can look at other New Testament passages. 2 Corinthians 3, 6 says this. um, God's word... Let me start over. We look at at 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6. God's word says that God made the Corinthian church made up of mainly Gentiles to be ministers of the new covenant. Back in Ephesians 3, verse 6 again, we read, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Then hear, hear what's said at the very end of the book of Acts. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Finally, each week we partake of communion. When we partake of communion, we are drinking from the cup of the new covenant. Now I realize sharing just a few verses out of the New Testament may not, is not comprehensive and may not be enough to convince you. There are a lot of, of other factors to be considered. As Christians, we are part of the new covenant, and the new covenant in essence has to do with a relationship that God established by the forgiveness of sins lived out by the internalization of God's laws and conceptually set against the backdrop of God's working through the people Israel, which I would say includes the church. As a side note, I did listen to almost three sermons in this passage, and no one really referenced who Israel was in the passage, but they all taught the same way. These are all guys that we're familiar with, from one side of the fence to the other, which I found was pretty interesting. But regardless of how you see the people of God, we are to see a union and unity in the new covenant. 
we are to see continuity between the old covenant and the new covenant. And we are not to focus on any of this as to miss the great work that God has done through Christ for his people. So whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, the old covenant is obsolete. It has vanished away. As God's people, we relate to him as he has shown us in the new covenant. For Christians to try and relate to God in the old covenant now is like trying to take an old Nintendo game and use it in an Xbox. It won't work. Things change, they get better. God dealt with saints of old through the old covenant and now deals with all Jews and Gentiles in the new covenant. The new covenant is here, but are you a part of it? The new covenant is here, but are you a part of it? Do you see Jesus as king? Do you see yourself as a sinner in front of God who is holy, of which you are accountable to? You can know that your sins have been paid for if you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus. God has done a great work in Christ, and he calls you to repent of your sins and trust in Christ alone. For those that have trusted in Christ for salvation, do you still live in guilt over what you have done? We all have sins that we're ashamed of, that we may not tell anyone about, but do you know that even those sins were paid for on the cross? Hear verse 12 again. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. God does not just forgive your sins until you mess up again. No, God forgives and forgets. Listen to the great promise in Psalm 103. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love to so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. For as high as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Trust in the work of Christ and his sacrifice that he truly has forgiven us and lay your guilt at the foot of the cross. Finally, the new covenant brings the ability to know God and his word. We can, through God's spirit and God's word, love him and obey him. Give yourself to prayer that the Holy Spirit may change your heart. Plead with the Lord to have him write his word on your heart and spend morning and evening training your heart with what God's word says. Church, God in his great has much God in his grace has much to give us in the new covenant. Let's turn to him now in thanksgiving. Father, we thank you for this passage in Hebrews that brings much comfort to us. We thank you for Christ, our high priest, and his sacrifice. We thank you that we can now know that our sins are forgiven because of Christ's death on the cross. We ask that you would continue to work in our hearts and minds all for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.